Father, thank you that by your doing we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, Lord Jesus is our all in all. Everything we need, ever could need, for now and the rest of our lives and all eternity is found in him. And so we are so thankful that you gave such a gift, this indescribable gift, to people who deserve the opposite of such a gift. Lord, we deserve to experience your judgment, and instead we receive your mercy because of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's profitable, it's valuable, it's beneficial for teaching and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness so that your people would be equipped and ready for every good work. So Lord, as we open your word together, I pray that you would grant us grace to hear what the Spirit says to us through your word. And I also pray for grace for anyone who is here that doesn't know this Jesus we've been singing about Lord, still in their sins, still in their darkness, without hope, without God in this world, Lord, would you do a miracle of your grace like you've done for many of us, cause them to be brought to life. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. The New Testament not only reveals how we can have a relationship with God through Christ. It also has a lot to say about our relationships with others who have trusted in Jesus. When God causes us to be born again, he brings us into his family. He is now our Father in heaven, and other believers are now our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our text for today gives us three clear instructions about our relationships with one another. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we continue our study in this New Testament letter together. 1 Peter chapter 4. First, we are called to love one another. Verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Love is being genuinely concerned about and actively seeking the well-being of another person. Peter has already said something similar back in chapter 1. If you want to turn back to chapter 1, look at verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. So that's already happened. Fervently love one another from the heart for you have been born again. So see the connections there? Peter assumes that being born again into God's family produces a love for those who belong to God's family. We also see that same relationship in 1 John in chapter 4. Maybe you know the song that goes with it. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So 
Love shows you've been born of God and know God. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. So you're born again, you believe, you love God the Father, you love brothers and sisters in Christ. And that connection between the miracle of new birth and loving one another is so sure that it is confirming evidence that we have actually received new life. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So Peter has already called us to love one another fervently or earnestly, both words expressing the idea of intentional, serious effort. And in verse 8, he calls us to keep loving one another with that strong level of commitment. Caring about each other's needs, seeking one another's well-being needs to be sustained over time. So he says, don't give up or let up in your fervent love for each other. Now, why would we need to be reminded to keep loving one another like that? And he gives us the answer. I thought of different answers, and yet it's, it's right in the text. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's why we need to be reminded. Peter is realistic about life and about relationships. He knows other believers can frustrate us. They bug us. They bother us. They hurt us. And so what do we do with the wrongs and offenses that will inevitably come up in a church family? Well, by God's enabling grace, we keep on loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter may be borrowing from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, if you want to look at that. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And then if you're still in Proverbs, go over to 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the famous chapter about love, which wasn't written for a wedding. It was written to a church. And listen to some of the phrases. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient. The end of verse 5, love is not provoked and does not take into account a wrong Suffered. And one last one, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with 
one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And of course, those verses don't just apply in a church family. And they apply in our own families. Just think what a blessing there would be in our homes if husbands and wives and parents and children sought God's grace to follow these kinds of instructions about relationships. Patience and bearing with another and just love just saying, I can let that go. Obviously, there's going to be times when something does need to be said and something needs to get worked out, but, but a lot of stuff could just be like, okay, and just chalk that one up to no big deal. That would just go such a long way. Second instruction is in verse 9, back in First Peter chapter 4. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Hospitable means given to generous and cordial reception of guests. Hospitality is simply inviting and welcoming other people into our homes as an opportunity for fellowship. So we're called by God our Father to show hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And other verses remind us of this calling as well. Romans 12, 13 says, practicing hospitality. Or go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2. Let love of the brethren continue. Sounds just like 1 Peter 4, 8. And then followed by, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So there's an intriguing thought. And then there's the example of the early church that we saw in Acts chapter 2 in Sunday school. There's this picture in chapter 246, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And so these early believers enjoyed being together. They enjoyed sharing meals together in one another's homes. And Peter adds a comment about how we are to follow these instructions about hospitality. He says, without complaint or without Grumbling. Now, Philippians 2.14 covers everything. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Right? That's, that's hard enough. We need God's enabling grace to do that one. But here, Peter specifically connects it to the idea of hospitality. Why? And again, he's realistic. You might know from experience, hospitality involves extra time and extra effort and extra expense. It's extra work to prepare a meal and get the house ready and cleaned up and clean up after your guests leave. And we might be tempted to complain about that or just plain skip it because it's extra work. Right? And Peter's saying, don't see hospitality as a burden. See it as a blessing. It's not a have to. It's a get to. It's worth 
any extra effort involved. So don't complain about it. See it as an opportunity to enjoy fellowship with your brothers and sisters in your home. Remember, the commandments of God are not burdensome. 1 John 5, 3. So God calls us to love one another, to be hospitable to one another. And third, he calls us to serve one another. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So Peter uses four phrases to explain how we are to serve one another. The first is, we are called to serve using the gifts we have received from God. So it says, as each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. And the word gift there in our Bibles comes from a Greek word for grace. Each and every believer has received a gift of grace from God. God gave that to all believers without exception, sometimes known as a spiritual gift. So go to Romans 12, verse 6. Romans 12, verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, almost identical language to Peter. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Or in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So everybody that's a believer has a gift of grace. But the goal is not just to know that we have a gift. We are intended to use it. My version has employ it, which means put it to work. Find a job for it. Don't be content to be spiritually unemployed. But actively be engaged in using your gift for the benefit of others. Northwestern College hosted a basketball camp a few years ago that Caleb went to. It wasn't promoted as a specifically Christian camp. It wasn't limited to only Christian athletes. There were hundreds and hundreds of high school students that went to this camp. And every one of them got a t-shirt with the words, Use your gifts to serve others. It just sounds like someone up in our city had been reading 1 Peter 4.10 exactly what it says. Use your gifts to serve others. Second, we are called to serve others as good stewards of the grace of God. So the rest of verse 10 calls it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold or the varied grace of God. A steward, of course, is a person entrusted to manage what belongs to someone else. For example, if you've ever babysat for someone, you take care of someone else's kids. Their parents ex- fully expect you to be faithful in your responsibility to watch them. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, It is required of stewards to be found trustworthy. So Peter reminds us, we're stewards. And what have we been entrusted with? God's manifold or varied 
grace. This gift we've given. And part of the idea of being a steward is the fact that we will give an account to God for how we used the gift that was entrusted to us. Peter was there when Jesus told the parable of the talents. You remember the story in Matthew 25? A man is going on a journey. He entrusts his possessions to his servants. And when he returns, they give an account of how they have managed what he entrusted to them. And the first two servants actively used what they were given, and they hear their master say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that what you want to hear? I do. But not everyone hears that. There was a servant who did nothing with what was entrusted to him, and he is called a wicked, lazy, worthless servant. Don't want to hear that. And those are the only two options in that story. There's not some kind of middle ground. And so if we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, someday in the future from the Lord Jesus himself, then we need to be good and faithful servants now. It doesn't just somehow change, like live your whole life not being a good steward and, then all, and servant, and then someday you're going to hear that. It's about what you're doing now with your life and your gifts that have been entrusted. Third, we are called to serve others with the strength provided by God. Verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So if we've been given a gift that involves speaking in some way, teaching others or sharing encouragement or giving counsel to someone, don't just offer our own ideas and wisdom. We're to give the word of God. The oracles of God, the utterance of God. What does God say about it? That's what's ultimately helpful and useful and true. And if your gift involves serving, don't try to serve others in your own strength. Rely on the strength that God supplies. So let's say, this is not real, let's say this coming Saturday is scheduled for another church work day. So you wake up next Saturday morning, and you're tired, you worked hard all week, you just want to relax, you're just not feeling it, you're just zero energy to go help at church. But you remember this verse, and so you pray, Lord, please give me the strength you said you would supply to those who serve you. You don't have to do it on your own energy level. You don't have any. You'll wear out quickly. You'll burn out. Do it in the strength God supplies. And that will sustain you. And last and definitely not least, we are called to serve one another for the glory of God. So the rest of verse 11 says, so that, or in order that, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Corinthians 10.31 says, 
whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, including serving one another, do all for the glory of God. So what would that look like? So let's say you have the gift of helps, which is one of the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. You hear about a need in the body, and you sense God is prompting you to use your gift to serve others in the church family, and so you you show up and you help out, whatever the need was, and you get in your car and drive home. And this verse says that's not the end of it, or not intended to be the end of it. For one thing, that brother or sister that had their need met will give thanks to God for sending you. And so 2 Corinthians 4.15, listen to this chain reaction in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul talks about the grace which is spreading to more and more people. So we've received a gift of grace. We're stewards of God's grace. This grace is spreading. It's going out more and more to more people. May cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So it's not just somebody's going to say thank you for being such a nice person. They might not. You need to be okay with that, and I need to be okay with that. It's for the glory of God that he's called attention to, that he gets thanked. And you're thanking God for the opportunity to be involved in others' lives and helping them and for experiencing the blessing that Jesus promises in Acts 20.35. I hope you've tasted this. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself has said, it is more Blessed, truly happy in the deepest, fullest sense of the word to give than to receive. There's more joy to be found in giving and serving and giving out of yourself than taking and getting. And that, there's, That's where the joy is according to Jesus. So we believe that promise. We go trusting that joy will come. And now we're giving thanks to God for the joy he gave us to serve. So... Somebody's needs gets met. God gets thanked for that. I have the joy of serving. I get blessed. I give thanks to that. And it might even spill out to other people. Just this week, I got a call from a brother volunteering to serve in a way I was not expecting him to volunteer for, even though it was very inconvenient for him. I gave thanks to God for that. That was very encouraging. So even though these verses sound like they're only about horizontal relationships, They're ultimately about God. We all received a gift from God. We're all stewards of the grace of God. We're all called to serve in the strength from God. And the ultimate purpose of all is the glory of God. It's all about God. Everything's about God. That's ultimate reality. Everything is ultimately about God. Romans 11.36 says, From him and through him and to him are All things, including how we love each other and how we show hospitality to each other and how we serve one another. It's all about the glory of God. Or here's a fascinating connection in Hebrews 6, 9 and 10. Hebrews 6. You can just meditate on this for a while this week. 
So there's these scary warning passages in the first verses of 6. And then the author of Hebrews stops and reassures the believers. He says, but beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Things that accompany or belong to salvation, though we're speaking in this way, namely these scary warnings. And then what does he base that statement on? For, here's the reason I'm confident of better things concerning you. Here's the reason I'm convinced things that belong to salvation belong to you. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Or if you have ESV, in having served and, or that, excuse me, in serving the saints as you still do. So serving the saints is not just because you love the saints, though we're called to do that, it's about your love for God. Serving the saints is an expression of your love for God. And God will reward it, it says. So everything is ultimately about God. We were created for God's glory. We were created to give God the honor and praise that is due him as the great and glorious God that he is. That's why we exist. That's why everything exists. And all of us have failed to do what we were created to do. Romans one twenty one says, even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks. And then 3.23, you'll say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We haven't given God the glory he's due. That's all of us. And we can't make up for dishonoring God by anything we can do or offer. Romans 11.35 says, who has first given to him that it should be paid back again? In other words, here, God, I was a good person. Here, God, I did these good things. Here, God, I served in this way. Oh, now God owes you eternal life or owes you heaven or owes you favor. It says, no, never works that way. So, then what? <laughs> well, there's good news. God has provided a way of salvation through Jesus. And so trust in Christ. Christ lived his life completely for the glory of God. He says, I always do the things that please him. He never sinned. He never disobeyed. And so when he died on the cross on that first Good Friday, it wasn't paying for his own sins because he had none. So then why did he die? And the answer is, he's dying as a substitute for sinners. He's taking the place of people like you and me, paying for our sins. And then he rose again to show he had conquered sin and death and hell, and that he's the only one who can rescue us from our broken sinfulness, and he's the only one who can restore us to God and a life that's back on track for what we were created to do, namely to live for his glory. And so Romans 15, 9 says, the reason Jesus came 
Listen to this. How would you fill in that blank first? Christ became a servant of the circumcision of the Jews on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles, the nations, the ethnic groups, non-Jewish people like us, to glorify God for his mercy. Jesus came so that we would glorify God for his mercy. It's the ultimate reason for our salvation. Yes, we get to go to heaven, which we could never deserve. Yes, we're spared from hell, which we absolutely deserved. But it's ultimately that God is glorified for his mercy, which he deserves. He deserves the glory because he did it all. Or the longer version would be Ephesians chapter 1. God the Father chose us and adopted us to the praise of the glory of his grace. Jesus redeemed us and forgave our sins to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit comes and seals us as a pledge of our inheritance to the praise of his glory. It's all ultimately about God and his glory. Well, for believers, as we close, just encourage you to pray along these lines. Lord, am I serving others at an appropriate level in this season of my life? Am I serving others like this verse calls me to at an appropriate level for this season of my life. So there's some built-in caveats or asterisks or whatever you want to call it. It's going to look different in different seasons of life, different seasons of health, different seasons, lots of things. So I get that. And it's not, okay, if you really love Jesus, you'll do this, this, this. Ask God to show you, are you serving others, which is ultimately an expression of serving him, as we saw in Hebrews 6.10, at an appropriate level for this season in my life. And then ask him, God, show me how do you want me to use the gifts you've given me? And then pay attention to opportunities. There's announcements, there's emails, there's other ways of becoming aware of needs. And pray, Lord, is that something you want me to be part of? Is that something I could do? Is that something that you might be pleased to use me to do? And then stay tuned for a possible ministry fair. We don't have any dates. We don't have it all figured out. But uh, it's already just been mentioned that you know, maybe we could do what we attempted to do. This sun, the very Sunday, COVID went nuts back in March 2020. We were going to have potluck after the service. We had all these booths we were going to have. Some ladies spent hours and hours and hours just getting this thing ready, and we had to pull the plug because you all, you remember how that all went down. So, by God's grace, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And so, stay tuned for an opportunity called a ministry fair where we'll just have some of the opportunities that you could get involved and plugged in and serve um, won't be everything imaginable, but at least a sampling of some different ministries that um, you might use your gifts in. So let's pray. My Father, thank you for the gift of salvation. It was free, absolutely free. We could not contribute at all. 
And thank you that in addition to your gift of salvation, you've given each of your children a gift to use in serving others for your glory. I pray, Lord, that as a church family, we would take these verses to heart. Lord, that we would be eagerly engaged in serving one another. There's a lot of joy there. You've told us that. I pray that those who haven't tasted that joy would soon discover that it is more blessed to give and serve because Jesus said so. Lord, I also pray that you'd cause our love to stay fervent for one another, that love would cover a multitude of sins, real and imagined. Lord, not only as a church family, but in our homes, Lord. I pray for husbands and wives to be gracious to each other and parents and kids to be gracious to each other or that there just be a sweetness in our homes because we're following what you say about relationships. Lord, again, I pray for anyone who doesn't know Jesus this morning. Lord, there's nothing more important than to know him to know who he is, what he's done, what he promises, what he offers. Pray that you'd open the blind eyes to see Jesus as the only one who can save. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a paraphrase.